Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message is about Jesus' ascension. When Jesus was ready to ascend to the right hand of God, he passed his work and his message on to the disciples, beginning a relay race that continues today. Pastor David Cartwright discusses what Jesus gave all of us and how we can run our leg of the relay race and continue passing the baton along. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. As we begin or continue reading today, we turn to the book of Acts chapter 1 and we'll pick up in verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, in these moments, may our hearts and our minds be still and open before you. I pray, God, that it would be your voice that is heard today, your truth that is spoken. Give me grace, Lord, to speak those words of truth, to speak them in simplicity, with clarity, that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. And for all good things that we receive and experience, we give only you the praise and the glory in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Most of you would be familiar with the idea of a relay race. If you've ever been to or watched a track and field event, you would see these races that uh, are run not by an individual but by a team, usually four runners uh, together. Uh, And for all the work and the effort and the speed of the runners, very often the outcome of the relay race comes down to the uh, the smoothness and the efficiency of the handoff. It, it, it takes up a, a very small part of the race, but it plays such a big part. If the handoff is not smooth and efficient and timely and quick, then it can make all the difference between winning and losing. And that handoff is, is, is brief. Uh, there's just a few seconds in that, in that, um, in that place, in that zone where the handoff has to occur. And as far as just passing the baton from one hand to the other, it happens in, in just an instant. 
But it's still so very important. And when we begin reading in the book of Acts, we are at a point where Luke is describing for us a, a handoff period. It is a time, a season, where Jesus is handing off his ministry to his apostles. Now, it, it takes a little bit more than just a few seconds. Actually, the handoff period between Jesus and his apostles spans about 50 days. It goes from the end of Jesus' ministry, his death and resurrection, to the day of Pentecost, which would have been 50 days after the, the feast of uh, Passover and unleavened bread. And so in that period of time, there is a handing off between Jesus and his uh, disciples. That, that idea of the handoff is important because it, it links together two very important parts. And the whole, the whole idea is of, of a handoff is where one runner has run the extent of what he or she is going to do, the, 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 the mission that gets handed off to the next one who run, then runs with it with gusto. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for this, even, and I'm not going to go back and read from this, but if you particularly read, read from the Gospel according to John in the 13th through the 17th chapters, uh, you would see there that Jesus is talking with them very much about not only his impending death and resurrection, but what their ministry and their life is going to be like in the age, in the generation that will follow. And so he's been preparing them for this. Uh, this, this is what we call an ascension text. And so today what we're going to do is celebrate Ascension Sunday. I will admit that we're a week ahead of schedule doing that. In the Christian calendar, Ascension Sunday usually falls the week immediately prece preceding Pentecost. Pentecost isn't for another couple of weeks, but since I have something else planned for next week, we're going to do Ascension Sunday a week early. Ascension Sunday typically doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the Christian church. It's, it's almost like just a, a little precursor. We give a nod to it as we really wait for the more important day of Pentecost when we look to the power and the giving of the Holy Spirit. But rather than passing over it too lightly, I just want us to understand that the, the ascension text and the concept of ascension teaches us a couple of important things, and we'll make highlight of that today. Uh, first of all, as we already alluded, the idea of the ascension points us to the reality that there is a mission that is be being handed off. And this shows up in the text in a couple of places. Uh, when, when Luke describes his uh, visitation with the disciples, that meaning Jesus, the risen Christ, appearing to the disciples, Luke says it's over a period of 40 days that he appears to those disciples. So out of those 50 days, 40 of those days are, are, are time in which Jesus is appearing. He is showing up, he's hanging out with those disciples, and he's talking with them. And we might ask ourselves, well, what is he talking about? Is he just kind of casually shooting the breeze? And the answer to that is no. Luke doesn't give us the impression that he is just um, casually talking about whatever comes to mind. Luke tells us that he is speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And that is Jesus' mission. The kingdom of God is his mission. And so what he's doing, he's talking to the disciples about his mission. It's not just random conversation. He is talking with them about the, the particular aspects of his mission. 
When Jesus walked among us, when he journeyed from Jerusalem to Galilee and he taught and he healed and, and he was present among people, his ministry was a ministry of the kingdom of God. Everywhere he went, he talked about the kingdom of God. He, he talked about the kingdom of God coming near in his person, in his teaching, in his ministry. And even at even that time when he sent uh, disciples out for a period of time, he told them, when you go to a town, tell them the kingdom of God has come near. And so the kingdom of God is an embodiment of Jesus' mission. Now he's handing that mission off to someone else. He's handing it off to his apostles. Down in verse 8 also, when he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the most remote parts of the world. Again, he's talking about his mission. He says, this mission is getting handed off to you. And there, particularly in chapter 8, in, in verse 8, he's expressing to them that his mission is going to, be, going to take a quantum leap in its scope. And that might be hard for us to imagine, but Jesus had already predicted it. If you go back to John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said one of the most remarkable things where he said, Truly I say to you that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I will go to the Father. It's hard for us to imagine that somebody like you or, or me could do greater works than Jesus will do. But we have to think of it like this, that even though Jesus touched countless lives, his whole life was spent in that little finger of land there in the Middle East that we call Palestine, that we call the Holy Land. But his, his ministry through the apostles was about to explode. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the furthest extents of the world through the apostles and in generations to come through you and me his his mission was about to explode throughout all the world and it's all going to happen through the handoff through the handoff think again with me if you will about that idea of the baton being passed if you look at a, a relay race in which runners carry that baton the baton symbolizes something important. It symbolizes the goal of the team. It symbolizes the mission of those runners. It symbolizes the work that has gone on in that team right up until that point of the handoff. And I'll tell you what you will almost, you will probably never see if you watch a relay race. If you watch that baton being passed from one runner to the next, when that runner receives that baton, I, I will say that you will never see that runner wander off over to the concession stand to have a cold beverage. You won't find that runner trotting off over to the stands to shoot the breeze with the, the fans who are seated there. You don't see that. What you see is a runner who takes that baton and, and begins with passion and, and the greatest of effort to continue the mission that had been handed him or her. Why is that? Because in their hand they hold that which symbolizes the mission of the whole team. And that's exactly what is going on when Jesus prepares these apostles. 
He is saying to them, that mission that I took upon myself, the mission of the kingdom of God, I'm about to put in your hands. And it's just that important. I have a good friend and colleague in West Virginia whose name is Scott Knowlton. I frequently am in touch with him. I like to watch uh, the things he writes. And I noticed this week that he had posted something online that really caught my attention. And so I stole it to share with you today. And, and, and I like the, the way that he very simply put this. And he said, God did not create a mission because he had a church. He created a church because he had a mission. And, and for those of us who are part of the church, regardless of what, if any, denomination we call ourselves, if we are part of this large C, capital C, church, the body of Christ, we have to understand that God has created us because he had a mission. And that mission is the kingdom of God. And God has put it in our hands so that we might run with it. And this ascension text reminds us of that time in history 2,000 years ago to which we are bound. The time when Jesus said, my time is done, it's in your hands now. And he put the mission in your hand and in mine. The ascension text tells us something else that we need to note today. And it has to do with where Jesus went. When we look at what the text says, it says in verse 9 that while the apostles were looking up into the sky that Jesus was taken up into the clouds out of their sight. So the question is raised, where did he go? The answer to that is really important. And I don't want for us to assume that we know it. We, we may know it implicitly. We may know it by being assured in the text. But let's answer the question. Where did Jesus go? He didn't leave here to just go nowhere in particular. He left here to go to the throne of God to take his rightful seat on the throne of God of over all creation. He took his place of ultimate sovereign authority. And it's those that reality that is important for us to claim today. There are glimpses of it in the scripture. You don't have to go very far from where we are in Acts to uh, catch perhaps the first of it. If you go over to Acts in chapter 7, I'll read just a couple of verses there, but you find in, in Acts 7, there's a disciple by the name of Stephen who is full of the Holy Spirit. He's doing marvelous works and deeds among all the people. Uh, to the extent that the, the, the non-believing Jews who were in power uh, took him and they brought him in for questioning. And chapter 7 is full of this uh, sermon that, that Stephen uh, preaches to them going for, through this extensive history of, of the Israelite people leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And hearing all of this, the, the, the Jews are are worked up in, into a, a point of anger. And we read in verses 55 and, and 56 where it says, But being, being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And that was the tipping point at which the Jews became so angry that they took him and they had him killed. But think, if you will, about what Stephen saw when he looked up into heaven and the heavens opened and he got to gaze at the reality that Jesus was right there at the throne of God. It's, a, it's an image that we need because it tells us that Jesus did not just go to some, some place, in, in, uh, no place in particular. He went to the place of ultimate authority. And if we understand that Jesus went to the place of ultimate authority, it teaches us also that he is over a victorious church. He is sovereignly ruling over all creation. And the one who calls us into his church is the one who says that my church is now and will always be a victorious body. Friends, if you and I are called into the church, we are called into a body that is now and will always be victorious. If you want to put it in, in sports terms, we are on the winning team. It is all, already guaranteed. Now and through eternity, we are on the winning team. And that does something powerful for us. The language of that is written all through the scriptures. George Friedrich Handel, in his uh, wonderful oratorio, Messiah, uh, worked, he, he took abundantly from scripture to write the, that piece of music. And in perhaps the most familiar of uh, the, the pieces of music in that oratorio, uh, the, the Hallelujah Chorus, he borrows language from Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, where it says, The kingdom of, our, of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And you can finish it, can't you? And he shall reign forever and ever. It, it is promises like that. It is that reality to which we hold. And we say, our Lord, our King, our Savior rules over all creation, victorious now and always. And you and I are part of that victory. It is guaranteed. And then we might ask, well, what does that victory do for us? Well, there are actually at least a couple of effects that that victory has, might have upon us. We want to make sure that it has one and not the other. There, there may be more effects than just two, but I can think of at least two. The, the two that come to my mind would be, first of all, complacency, and second of all, inspiration. Uh, yes, it could have a, the effect of making us complacent. Uh, sometimes it's the threat of losing or the threat of failing that keeps us motivated. Oh, man, if I, if I don't keep working hard at my classwork, I'm not going to get the A. If I don't keep pressing with all of my effort, the, the, the other runners are going to catch up with me and I won't win the, win the race. Uh, sometimes it is that, that idea of failure that keeps motivating us. But interestingly, the, the threat of failure can also sometimes bind us. The fear of failure can also be that thing that makes us just not do anything. It holds us. We want to make sure that that's not what happens. You know, we might be complacent and say, well, you know, hey, if, uh, 
Yet if I know that the church is going to be victorious, then I might, I'll just sit back and take it easy and, you know, I won't worry about it. But it should absolutely have the opposite effect. It should be the thing that sets us free and inspires us to say, hey, you know, what, what would hold me back if I know that if I put forth my best effort, that God's kingdom is still going to stand, that the church is still going to be victorious, that there's nothing that I can do to undermine the ultimate victory of the body of Christ. What a freedom we would have to pursue that. I think of the words that are shared by the, the writer of Hebrews in the 12th chapter there, verses 1 and 2, when he, he has talked about the, the faithful witness of so many people who have gone uh, before and the writer there in, in chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him Endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the kind of inspiration that we might take when we perhaps catch a glimpse like Stephen did of the reality that our risen Christ is at the throne of God, ruling over all creation. And we know that we can be set free to run passionately after the things of his kingdom. Free to offer ourselves with no, with no constraints, with, no, with complete abandon for the good of God's kingdom here and now. And so then what do we do? There's a great image here as Luke continues to write in, in chapter 1. Uh, look, if you will, at the image that the, the writer paints. Um, in verse 6, Jesus is with the apostles, and the apostles ask them a question. They say, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom to us? And Jesus responds to them and says, it's not for you to know the times and the epics that God the Father has set by his own authority. But you will be my witnesses. And he goes on to say, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the most remote parts of the world. And it's after giving them this commission that he has taken up out of their sight. And as they're looking up, two angels come and stand by them. And they give the apostles this great promise that this Jesus whom you have seen go will come in just the same way that you have seen him go. When it comes to the things of the future, when it comes to end times things, doctrines, theologies, the Bible speaks to it. There's no doubt about it. We, we have texts in the Bible that speak to, about the things to come. And even for us who have, have come very confident in our theology about the end times, uh, confident in our understanding of what the Bible 
of what certain texts may have to say, I think if, we're, if we have a little bit of humility, we might admit that those scriptures may not be as crystal clear as some other things in the Bible. But there's one verse that says something so simple and powerful and clear. And that is what Luke records in verse 11. The words that those angels spoke to those apostles. Just as you've seen him go, you will also see him return. And it's that guarantee promise that he is gone and he's going to come back. And it frames a reality for us that we enter into an age of the church. It is an apostolic age in which Jesus is going to work through the Holy Spirit, through his believers, to propagate his kingdom throughout the world. Until such time that he comes back and brings all things to their conclusion, and, and then it will be finished. So the focus then becomes, what? And it's very interesting to me how Jesus turns that. The, the apostles asked the question of Jesus, is now the time that you're going to establish the kingdom? Jesus diverts them from that toward something else. It's not for you to know those times and epochs that the Father has set, but you will be my witnesses throughout the world. You see, the apostles were concerned with Jesus establishing a kingdom. Jesus was concerned with the apostles bringing the kingdom. There's a difference. The, the apostles wanted to know when Jesus is going to set up this kingdom. When are you going to do it, Lord? When are you going to set all these things in their final place? Jesus says, rather than thinking and focusing on that, focus on this. Your job is to bring my kingdom into your current reality to the greatest extent possible. In other words, you start doing what I did in my ministry. Everywhere I went, I brought the kingdom to the people who were ready to receive it and experience it. I want you to do the same thing. And that's the job of the church right here and now. In every day during this age, our job is nothing more than doing what Jesus did. Bringing the reality of the kingdom of God into the here and now, to the hurting, to the needy, to those who are searching, to those who are doubting, to those who are anticipating and, and looking for a sign that God loves them, that God cares for them, that God is a reality, to understand who God is. You can go on and on. That's our job, to bring the kingdom to people like that. That's it. And we understand, once again, that he has taken that baton and he has put it in our hands. The Ascension text reminds us of this. That God has handed the ministry of the kingdom to us. It's worth also saying that the idea of handing off is built into the DNA of church life. 
It is something that is an ongoing reality for us in ministry. We as people of the church are continuously raising up, stepping up, and handing off the work of the kingdom from one person to another. It is, if you read the book of Acts, you will find that continuously what those apostles were doing was going to new places, finding new people, incorporating them also into the work of the kingdom. Because the reality is that none of us are going to be around forever. None of us are going to be uh, effectively working throughout the whole church age. We stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. We lay a groundwork for those who come after us. We are constantly in the process of handing off, of bringing in, incorporating others into the work of the kingdom, handing the ministry to them, because someday it's going to be in their hands completely. And then they too will hand it from one to another. Now we need to be very careful in saying that what, what, what I'm not saying is, is this idea of, that, that we hear so often, well, I did my time, let somebody else do it now. Okay, I hear it all the time, I, I'm probably going to hear it until the day I die, I understand that. Here's the only thing I'll say. If that's the mentality you have, understand that you do not have a prominent biblical model as your pattern. It's not there. You might uncover something that you might grasp out of Scripture, but there's no prominent biblical model that expresses that kind of mindset. Instead, it is a, until the day that I die, I'm in the game. Moses, he led the people of Israel until the day he wandered off into the wilderness to die. Paul, he, he kept his apostleship alive and going until the day that his life was taken from him. We don't fully know with absolute certainty how Paul died, but we believe by uh, the more reliable sources that he was probably uh, killed as a martyr in Rome. But even in prison, he, his apostleship was alive and well. And so many others as well, they're, they're in the game for as long as they're here. But that doesn't preclude us from, from bringing others into the fold and saying this is a shared ministry. I'm handing this ministry to you because the day will come when I'm not going to be here. And God will put the kingdom work in your hands as well. I want to invite you on a journey. I realize that there may be people listening to this that you're, you're not, you don't feel like you're necessarily connected to the church. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You haven't given yourself fully to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let me invite you on the most life-changing journey that you'll ever find. Giving your heart to Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, use me for the good of your kingdom. If, if you don't know how to take that first step, I'd love to connect with you. If you're watching on Facebook, just kind of leave a post and say, hey, I'd like somebody to follow up with me. Email the church office. Just let us know somehow. We'd love to connect with you and help you take that first step. Because I know this.
that Jesus wants to take that baton of his kingdom work and put it in your hand also. And trust me, when he does that, you will find a whole new world open up to you. You will be used mightily by the Holy Spirit of God to do works greater than you ever thought possible. Jesus put the work in our hands. And he left us nothing but the encouragement and the assurance that the Holy Spirit is with us now and always for that work. Let me leave you with these words, some of my favorite words from Scripture, from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, where the writer says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that the promise of the Holy Spirit is alive for us. and We look back to that time uh, only imagining, Lord, how powerful it must have been for those apostles to see Jesus ascend into the clouds and, and knowing that he has gone to your heavenly throne. And Father, we're reminded even by that, that you have taken the kingdom work and you've put it in our hands. And Lord, we would ask nothing more than you would make us faithful Faithful to give ourselves fully to that work. Faithful to trust you that the work that we have will surely bear fruit only by your leading and the power of your Holy Spirit. We trust it to you. We thank you, God, for this great ministry. And we thank you, God, that our, our, our place in your kingdom is secure and that Jesus reigns now and always. We ask and pray these things in that wonderful name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.